2020 World Tour season is marching to its conclusion. And we have you covered with all the news and information here at villanews.com. We also have a ton of cool, exclusive content as part of our Velo News Pass and Active Pass digital memberships. You've heard me talk about Velo News Pass and Active Pass. Velo News Pass is $49 annually, gets you all the cool digital content. Active Pass, $99 annually, gets you exclusive digital content and a whole bunch of other cool stuff and right now we've had a bunch of great content around both the 2021 Tour de France route announcement and the Welta Espana uh, from some of your favorite writers like Andrew Hood, Dan Cavallari, Ben Delaney and myself. I just read Andrew Hood's commentary piece why I still love frivolous final stage parades to wrap up the Grand Tour basically making the case for the Champs-Élysées stage of the Tour de France whereas the Giro and the Vuelta tend to go with uh, more of a dramatic finale with like a stage that really counts and Andy I feel like makes a great point for the final stage parade. Anyway you can read great stuff like that and other content as part of Bella News Pass and Active Pass. Sign up today start reading exclusive content. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the Vela News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you on a Tuesday. It is Tuesday election day. Actually, a lot going on right now uh, in my universe. We had a fun Halloween weekend. I hope everyone was safe, practiced social distancing. If you did go out, uh, we put all our candy out, and we had so many kids coming to my neighborhood trick-or-treating. It was ridiculous. Uh, my family, we were lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. That was our uh, our costume this year. Um, then we had thrilling racing going on at the Vuelta España with the Angleru stage, Alto de Angleru stage on Sunday, which I, I just – that's one of my favorite days of – you know, it doesn't happen every year. It happens every three or four years. It's one of my favorite days of bike racing. I like circle it on my calendar when there's the Alto de Angleru because it's such a cool, compelling climb where the racing just gets put into slow motion. We're going to talk all about that today on the podcast. Um, we also had the 2021 Tour de France route announcement. And we got a glimpse of what the tour is going to look like next year. Hopefully it goes off on time. And we've had a great uh, bunch of content on the site about 2021 Tour de France. So we're going to talk about both of those topics today with James Start and Andy Hood. Then, second half of the show, we have another interview with Sepp Kuss. Thanks to Sepp for calling in throughout the Welta to give us a little behind-the-scenes look at what his Welta has been like. We also have a great conversation with Mike Woods of EF Pro Cycling, Mike Woods won stage seven and then helped Hugh Carthy win on the Angleroo. And Mike Woods takes us inside that dramatic day. So great uh, couple of interviews and then some insight on what's going on. So let's get to it. Let's hear from Andrew Hood and James Start. Uh, we're recording this just after the individual time trial put Roglic into the red jersey. But Andy, here we are. Primoz Roglic has taken four stage wins. Yet I would har- I would not call this a dominant Vuelta España performance at all because there's no guarantee that he is going to hold this lead all the way to the end. What's your assessment of this Roglic versus Carapaz battle, which uh, just etched another another chapter into it? Yeah, another, another really quite exciting time trial. 
I, I've never been a huge fan of time trials just in terms of the excitement levels. I mean, I know they're an essential part of racing, but man, this year we've had some great time trials and today was another good one. Uh, tough, tough luck though, right off the top, just to say Will Barta, you know, the American rider on CCC was sitting in the hot seat for last part of that stage and looked like from the intermediate time checks that he was going to win the stage. And uh, then Roglic at the end just uncorked uh, on that final wall of the Azero summit, just really kind of erased. I think at, at the final time check there, he was a good 10, 15 seconds back of Barta. And it looked like he might hang on for that win. Ended up losing that stage by just one second. I know that would have meant the world to Will after everything he's been through with the team folding this year. Uh, but for the uh, overall complexion, you know, Roglic, he's won four stages in this welt. And like you said, Fred, no guarantee he's going to win this thing. Uh, it's been a yo-yo with uh, Carapaz and Roglic. Carapaz uh, giving up some time today, settles into 39 seconds back in second. Huge Carthy uh, in third, 47 seconds back. He kind of got a lock on the podium there. Dan Martins gave up some time today. He's uh, about a minute behind Carthy. So, you know, the question is, you know, is this – a fight for the podium or is this wealth is still wide open? Yeah, I think, you know, it's 40, however many seconds back to Carapaz. Um, under normal circumstances, I would say, oh, this thing's in the bag, you know, a, a killer like Roglic with his team and how strong he is. He's got this, but man, just a couple days ago, we saw Roglic bend, but not break, but just not look that great on the Alto del Angleru and get dropped. And so I, I, I got to say, I don't think this thing is over by any means. Well, I think it's interesting because both Carapaz and Roglic raced the Tour de France, both, you know, raced competitively. Um, but I have a, I, I think that Carapaz came out of it fresher because, you know, he was really going for it in the Alps, he, you know, on the attack last three days. But he didn't have the weight of the yellow jersey for three weeks like Roglic did. And um, – I, I think you know. I think he's riding. Uh, I think he's he's a little fresher. And and um, yeah, I don't think this is over at all. I think I was he. Had, you know, he got what seventh today in the TT. I mean, that's tremendous TT for him. Um, he, he didn't expect that. Nobody really did. So he's still very much in the hunt here. And and um, it's going to be very interesting to see where it goes. But I think that um, you know it, it's far from over, like you said, huh? So uh, guys, you know, whenever we have. Uh, Welta that has the Angleru in it. I just like I I just get so excited. I love that mountain. I love the climb. I love rewatching the old YouTube clips from that climb. I mean, it's such a thrilling and insane day. And I want us to um, have some some hot takes here on the Angleru day because that happened on Sunday. We're recording this Tuesday, and it you know, Carapaz took back red. Roglic lost some time. There weren't any fans on the road. It was steep as always. Uh, some of the memories and the the takes I'm going to take away from it are just like the Angleru continues to be one of the most difficult roads in all of European cycling. But boy, does it look weird when there's no fans on it. It looked to me, it was kind of like the world's hardest training ride. You know, these guys, um, the strongest on their team out there going blow for blow on it and without any fanfare fanfare or anyone cheering on it it's just it just looked really weird i i felt like it kind of lost some of its luster that's good thanks for telling me that i'll make sure i don't go climb like on a train ride 
Yeah, it's been uh, it's been interesting at the Welter. They've done quite a good job at shutting down these mountains and keeping the fans away because the COVID situation in Spain is just getting worse by the day. Uh, and in fact, today, the last controls for COVID, everything's all clear. So the, the bubble is working at the Welta, which is, bodes well for going into 2021. But the Angliru, you know, it, it's actually, it's not too far away from where I'm based here in northern Spain. And we're up there one one year with my bike years ago. And uh, man, it's like, there's no way you're going to be able to climb up that mountain uh, unless you're on mountain bike gearing. And unless you are a lot thinner than I was when I tried it about 10 years ago. Uh, it's just absolutely brutal. Uh, it's interesting though, that road, you know, it's basically just a paved over goat path and they've kind of carved in these, uh, horizontal lines in the pavement to kind of give cars traction going up. So I've heard riders say over the years that kind of, you know, it's kind of bumpy surface going up and kind of knocks them off balance almost sometimes. And it kind of gets wet. They actually got very lucky, had great weather this year because, uh, you know, that was the big concern going into this, into the, you know, that first week of November up here in northern Spain. And again, in the time trial, absolutely spectacular weather uh, Tuesday because you know, Galicia and Asturias in November can be just brutal conditions. And we've seen some of those conditions in the past. One of my memories at the at the Welta with, with the Anglerou was, uh, I think it might have been 2001-ish, 2003-ish. The year, uh, I think it was one of the first years I might have covered it with uh, David Miller. You know, it was just absolutely torrential downpour. Just, you know, one of those kinds of almost hurricane type rains. And it was just horrendous conditions. People were crashing on the approach climbs coming down these narrow. Really, these are very narrow, treacherous roads. They're not really, you know, fit to be raced at high speed in many ways. Uh, especially in wet conditions. And I remember Miller got to the top of it and took his number off, uh-huh. put, put it on the finish line and refused to cross the finish line in protest and left the race. So it, it's a race, it's a climb that can break souls. Yeah, I asked Mike Woods about it and he said, you know, back the last time they raced in 2017 when Contador won atop it, you know, it was actually a really breakthrough performance for him as a Grand Tour racer. But he said that not, ha- you know, so much of what helped him on that day was the fanfare. You know, it's this, it's this steep climb where you, it's a, you're muscling your way up it for the entire time. You know, the, the mellow ramps are like 16, 17%. The steep ones are 22, 23%. So you're out of the saddle a lot, or you're just pushing a huge gear and it's a slow speed chase. So even when you do get dropped, you're kind of right there. And so Mike Woods made the front group, you know, the, 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 the way the race, it was kind of a race of attrition this year up until the last three K. So you had Yumbo Visma setting the pace with this young kid, Jonas Vanguard, um, who was just very, very impressive. Then Sepkos took over and, you know, the, the group got whittled down to Hugh Carthy, Carapaz, Roglic, Dan Martin, Wout Poles was kind of yo-yoing off and, and Mike Woods. And Woods said that even after he got dropped, he's just like, you're not that far behind. So he's like, I felt like I was a spectator for the action. I was just right there off the back seeing what was going on and you could see the body language of these guys and you get a gap and and maybe it's only like a couple dozen meters, but that equates to like nine seconds, 10 seconds, 11 seconds. And that's really what we saw. I mean, Carapaz took the red jersey back that day, but the gap itself on some of these points of the climb, it just didn't look that big. It's like, you know, Roglic probably felt like he could reach out and touch the guy but uh, on the Angliru, that's like it equates to 15 seconds. So, you know, I went back and watched the climb 
and when Vanguard and then Sepkus are setting the pace, um, now you know, having known that Roglic was going to lose some time, I kind of kept my eye on him, and there were a couple telling moments uh, on that climb. The first was. Uh, Enric Maas was kind of bouncing all around before he attacked. And I feel like he was looking at Roglic and, and Dan Martin pulled up to Roglic at one point and looked over at him. And so you could tell that the contenders were kind of like looking at Roglic, like eh, trying to measure him up. And then on a couple of hairpins, even when Yumbo Visma was setting the pace, Roglic was kind of letting some gaps open up to the wheels in front of him. And so in watching it again, you could tell that the guy maybe wasn't on the best day ever. But you got to give it to him for bending, but not truly breaking. Because I got to figure on a climb that's that steep, that requires an effort, that that's hard. I mean, once you go, you you can go, you can go big time. And he seemed to, you know, he didn't quite have the muscles, but he kept himself in the game, which I think ultimately may win him this Welta. Well, you know, climbs like that, you can also blow big and lose a lot of time. Um, he just never, you know, it, it can go either way. Um, but, um, you know, uh, would uh, Tao, Tao have won the Giro without his teammates? Maybe not. Probably not. Um, you know, the, the strength of, of Tao and the Giro was uh, was that he was able to follow his teammate, even though, you know, Rowan Denis had to once or twice kind of slow down and wait for him. You know, the power of the team was such that they, they, they you know, they were right. They, he was... He probably couldn't have made that effort to drop uh, somebody like uh, Kelderman maybe all alone. I could be wrong, but uh, but he was just strong enough to follow Rohan Denise, uh, which is was the difference between him and Kelderman, and um, and that you know that might have been, we might have been seeing that sort of same dynamics being played out with um, with uh, Primos uh, as he was you know he he did have the team by his side. Yeah, Hoodie, you talked to Sep. I mean, what Sep have to say about that? Yeah, you know, Sep, he, he's just so laid back. He, he, he's just, uh, you know, it's been great talking to him during this Welta. And, you know, I asked him straight up, I and mean, you heard the interview here in a few minutes, that, uh, you know, did, did you think that you could have won the stage? And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, I probably could have won. <laughs> but because, you know, he was uh, you know, looking quite fresh there, as fresh as you could look on 24% grades. And but he obviously played the team card. His 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 role was very clear that day to help Primo. They're there to win the race, so he sacrificed his own chances to really have a shot at winning on probably one of the most fam- the, the most famous climb at the Vuelta España. But he did the right thing. You know, he gets paid by the team, and the team's riding for Roglic to win this Vuelta. So uh, uh, Sep had some interesting comments. We'll hear that in a minute. But also, you know, it'd be a miss to not mention uh, Hugh Carthy. What a great performance he's had i mean what a breakthrough we've seen so many great breakthrough performances this year and this year's uh you know kind of weird wacky racing season uh tade pogacar at the tour teo at the giro and now uh we're seeing hugh carthy who really uh in fact at the finish line on sunday uh garate wama garate the sport director at ef you know after hugh carthy won the stage and then of course he just did a magnificent time trial today you know, they're already talking. It's like, hey, you know, we're not just racing for the podium. This is still a race that we can win. And the way Carthy is riding, I mean, he's just having the best Grand Tour of his career. Uh, you know, basically secured the podium today. But uh, listening to what they've been saying, it sounds like, you know, they're thinking that they can still win the race. And it's interesting, these three stages coming up, we have 
La Cobetilla summit on Saturday, which is kind of a big, wide open grinding mountain uh, in the mountains of central Spain. Not particularly hard, but it's one of those climbs that because it's not so steep, you can actually get some gaps and, and build uh, build some momentum on that climb. Uh, and plus, it's very windy up there sometimes. So if you're not feeling great and you get, you know, you're losing the wheel and someone's having a great day, you know, you can lose a lot of time. You could lose that race or win the race still on that fun on a climb. But even these three transition stages, they changed the route. You know, we're supposed to go through Portugal and they had rerouted it through uh, northern and western Spain. And wide open country, a lot of just rough roads up and down. So there's going to be some risk. It was very windy today. Some risk of uh, wind and echelons and maybe uh, putting a lot of pressure on Roglic and Jumbo Visma to, to carry the jersey into Covetia. So they'll be pressuring uh, Roglic these next three days. Maybe not breaking them, but setting up perhaps for something happening on that final climb Saturday. Well, James, this is the perfect opportunity for t- us to test out our new working theory on David Brailsford and Team Ineos, which is that this is no longer the team for boring defense. This is the team for exciting offense, like what we saw at the Giro. Well, that's what I mean. I thought that was you know what he said at, at the the night that. Um, they they won the Giro was you know he said to me or he said you know to us he said you know it was this is so much more exciting to win a race like this when maybe you're not the overwhelming favorite than it is to win on the defensive and he said you know we won a lot of races on the defensive but I want in the future for it to go that way to be a more aggressive uh, team um, that that really rides with passion um, that's great to say. And we'll find out uh, if 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 ever they're back in this driver's seat with, you know, five, six, seven guys that can just ride tempo all day, and then they got the guy in yellow or pink or, or red, are they going to still be wanting to go on the attack? Right now, they don't have the overwhelming team, so they have to go on the attack, um, which is tremendous. Um, and and I would, you know, I, 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 I hope that um, they do more of it because uh, they're very exciting when they do that. Um, so we're going to we'll see where it goes but you know it, it bodes well for cycling. Yeah, no, it's going to be a thrilling uh, conclusion of this Welta. Um what do you guys know about Carthy? I mean, it's I think he's been in addition to performing well he's uh, with his legs, he's had some pretty funny interviews. I feel like the um the journalists, the English speaking journalists at this year's Welta have done like done good to um get some of his personality out. Um I asked Woods about him and he said, oh, he's a quirky dude. He's like, you know, he's the guy around the, the dinner table who's always the contrarian. Obviously, he's extremely strong. He is, you know, a guy who's kind of been flying under the radar for Grand Tour racing. Um, and he's a Brit, but he's not on Ineos or like Mitchelton Scott. So I feel like he doesn't get the same shine that some of his other countrymen get. Yeah, he he uh, he had a couple of years uh, with Caja Rural the Spanish pro Conti team. And he speaks perfect Spanish. I mean, he's got the accent down and his delivery is superb. I mean, he speaks better Spanish than I do. I've been married to a Spanish girl for a long time. And uh, he is a quirky guy, but he's, um, you know, he, he's kind of, you know, the way he's built, he, he's this, you know, he, you know, perhaps he's too big to be a pure climber. And I think you've seen him kind of just get the most out of his engine by uh, his natural climbing ability. But what he did in the time trial Tuesday 
was just really raised his game to another level. And of, of the people in the top four, you know, Dan Martin's still kind of there. He's maybe within shot of uh, still the podium run. But I think of the uh, of the four riders in the top four, you know, the one that I think poses the biggest threat to Roglic is, is Carthy. I think he has way more jump and spark in his legs right now than uh, Carapaz does. And uh, I think that uh, they're going to be racing to win this wealth and not just go for the podium. Well, a week from now, we're going to have our final takes on uh, the Welta last World Tour race of the season. Will Primoz Roglic get his uh, World Tour, his Grand Tour win after winning multiple stages? Will the new look Offensive Sky win things with Richard Carapaz? Or will Hugh Carthy, the man of mystery, uh, win the thing? Fun storylines to follow here. Um, guys, we had the 2021 Tour de France announcement this past week. Uh, we covered it all on the site, what it means, um, hot takes, analysis. Uh, James, I'll start with you. What is your – what's your take on this 2021 tour route? Uh, my take is, you know, the, the catchwords uh, here were traditional tour, classic tour. Why? Because we start in northern France uh, on the – what is traditionally the flatter roads. We drop down and then we loop around the Pyrenees or the Alps and the Pyrenees. And we have two time trials. One of the one of the one of the races that's had more time trialing, uh, nearly sixty kilometers uh, than any other, you know, than any in, in the last couple of years because they've really been punching, you know, uh, pushing for punchy stages, uh, favoring aggressive riding, and didn't want the race to be overwhelmed by time trials. Um, and Andy, coming back to your thing about how you're never a great fan of it. Well, I can tell you why you weren't a great fan. You started covering the sport when Miguel Indurain was on top. And anytime he lined up for a time trial, it was pretty boring because he just fucked, he dusted everybody. And the race, it was game over for the next two weeks of the tour. So that's a good way to sort of, you know, lose your appetite for time trialing. But um, the time trials are shorter than they used to be back in the big mix day. And um, it's not, they're not so long that you can't, uh, you know, you can't come back and find other opportunities. Um, but when you look at the race closer, it's not that, tra- you know, it's not as traditional. Uh, two uphill finishes on the first two days, that didn't used to happen when they started in Brittany. They avoided those hills. They favored the sprinters. I always thought they ought to. I remember uh, I remember back when, uh, was, it, uh, was it 94, 95, when Jalabert had that terrible crash into the, uh, into the cop who was taking a picture in Armontier, you know, and... Everybody's talking about how nervous we're racing is. And I remember suggesting to ASO, I said, why don't you guys have us like start with stage one with an uphill finish? That'll take, you know, that'll get the nerves out of, you know, the, the GC and the yellow jersey will get settled down. The sprinters aren't going to all be thinking they can get yellow, uh, for the next week. Um, and that's what they're doing. Uh, now they're, they're doing that. And, you know, the uphill finishes to, uh, the Mule de Bretagne and on stage one, uh, the GC battle will be not far from settled. But you're not going to have guys, sprinters, who can go pick up the yellow jersey after those first two days with bonus sprints, is in my opinion. And then, you know, we got a very long stage, 248 kilometers at the end of the first week with, I believe, it's almost like a, a you know, a punchy, like almost 20% climb uh, in the final uh, 20K. So that's going to, you know, that's going to spice things up, obviously. Uh, and then, and then the, you know, the, the climbs, a lot of classic climbs, you know, you got, you got the, uh, you got the Mont Ventoux and you've got, uh, Luzardi Den. Uh, we've got some, you know, some great climbs, but they're, they're not, it's not like four days of straight 2000 meter 
climbing and uh, mountaintop finishes. So it's going to be, you know, as I've, I said uh, in one of our uh, on one of our roundtables, it certainly uh, a, t- a guy like Tom Dumoulin, uh, if he's back on on the top of his game with his his time trial skills, is going to have a tremendous opportunity here. But it's also going to favor guys who are opportunistic as well. Yeah, for traditional Tour de France, it is certainly more traditional than we've seen after the last couple of years. But hey, come on, where's the prologue? I've been waiting years for a prologue. Where's the TTT? I, like the I love the TTT. Yeah, where's the TTT? Come on, Prudhomme, give us something. Give us something for the old geezers, you know. Let's yeah. go back in time. But I have to say, you know, I, I do like the the fact that the modern course design you know, a little spicier, a little kind of produces a tighter GC race. I mean, look at all the Grand Tours this year, or even just the last several years have been so close. And it does make it much more interesting. And the reason is because the time trials are relatively short and concise. Uh, even today at the Welta and, and you saw in, in the tour, the, the differences aren't so much that it just sucks the life out of the race. I mean, back in the day, you used to have 50, 60, 70K time trials, and the differences would just be minutes. Right. Then, of course, also on the flip side of that, you know, you, this was just going way back. But, you know, I remember reading in the 80s the, the accounts of these stages where, you know, would lose eight minutes on a stage and then gain back seven the next day. Yeah. So the, the style of racing has changed over the years. So time trials are tighter, way more control. Teams are way stronger. So the racing is tighter. And they kind of does produce this kind of, you know, final weekend you know, uh, question marks about who's going to win. But the thing that jumps out on me in this course, I mean, it is a traditional, more traditional style tour. And I think there is a place for that. I think uh, the Welta has the short and explosive uh, kind of a blueprint and the Giro is still just old school, hard man racing. And the tour is kind of finding this sweet spot between modern and traditional and kind of bringing in some elements that have always made the, the tour great without kind of uh, ignoring some of the latest trends in, in cycling. But what stands out to me most interesting about this route is the two climb assault over Von Two finishing down on the valley below in Malasson. And I think it's going to be a really cool stage. You know, some people are thinking, oh, why, you know, why don't they just finish it at the top? And if you remember one of the most exciting uh, stages ever to feature Von Two is when Eros Poli won attacking over in a breakaway, holding off the GC guys and winning. Uh, I think it was in Carpentra. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that's going to be a really interesting stage. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting stage uh, just to see that stage. Von Two featured twice in one stage because you know you got to have you got to have up to wedge. You got to have Von Two every couple of years, so it's good to see one of those classic climbs back in the in the tour. Well, and it's nice. It's nice also because you know the last time we did Von Two, 2016, was such a fiasco. You know, with the wind closing the top six k shortening the stage and then all the fans packing down on down mountain and you know just a sea of fans to the point where motorcycles couldn't get through and there's a roadblock and you know the yellow jersey and the you know just crashed right into them um and i was afraid that the tour is just going to go man you know Ventoux is just too crazy we can't risk another another stage where it gets shut down because of the wind or this or that but you know the tour doesn't like to uh to uh they don't like to to back down to anything um and so this is a statement that you know they're not going to you know the the the, the Ventoux is still very much a part of the race and i think it's just tremendous it's a gorgeous race it's also a bit of a tip of the hat to this new little french race that i've covered for the last two years the the mont ventoux de denivelle challenge which uh it's a wonderful little race 
and they are the first ones to do the well. You know, they did the double the double climb up the uh, up the mountain uh, just this year. Um, so uh, although they finish on the top, on like uh, you know, uh, some, sometimes uh, with the tour, but uh, it's a nice little I think tip to them as well. But it's going to be you know a great one. Uh, personal favorite for me, I'm really looking forward to that uh, that stage uh, finishing on the Col de Porte in the in the Pyrenees. We only did it once. We did it what two years ago when Quintana won. Just a beautiful climb, a beautiful climb uh, from a photographer's standpoint. I, I had some really great vantage points there and really enjoyed it. So that'll be fun, too. Uh, well, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, James Start and Andy Hood offering some hot takes and analysis on Vuelta España and 2021 Tour de France route. We're going to be continuing to cover uh, tour stuff because you know how it goes. They announced the route. Then we're going to have opinions and analysis the changes and it's going to speak to who the riders are and the teams and tactics and this is just the beginning um but hey let's get to our interviews with sepkus first and then mike woods from the welta espana and a week from now we'll catch up to have all of our final analysis in the last world tour race of the season All right, here we are again with uh, Sepp Kuss on a rest day, uh, second rest day at the Vuelta España. Um, so tell us about the Angliro, man. Everyone says that's one of the hardest climbs in all of cycling. Uh, that was your first crack at it. What uh, what was your take on it? What's your, what's your view on the Angliro? Oh, yeah, super tough. Um, I think if, if I had to compare it, it, it's a lot like the the Col de Los that we did in, in the Tour. Um, you know, in terms of length and, and how it gets so steep at the end. Um, but I, I don't know. The funny thing is that it's, it's so steep at a regular rate that it, after a while, it just feels like, um, a, a normal climb almost. Cause you're so, uh, you, you're grinding away for so long. So it, I, you know, after, after a while, you're just used to that, uh, uh, torque <laughs> that you need. Because it's really steep, boy. The, like the last six Ks or so is that famous where it's I think above twenty percent grade the whole way. Is there yeah. any, is there any let up at all, or is it just even steep through the switchbacks and everything? Uh, the the beginning switchbacks are really really steep, but um, yeah, near I think in the last five hundred meters, there's some switchbacks that are more or less flat, so you can get a bit of speed from those. Um, but aside from that, it's it's just unrelenting. And then, yeah, if, if you run out of legs over the top, then, then then there's not even any way that you can carry speed even over the uh, shallower sections. The uh, what were you what were you riding in terms of a setup for your crank and everything? Your gearing? Uh, I had thirty four thirty. Thirty four thirty. It's like yeah. almost, almost mountain bike gearing. <laughs> almost, almost. <laughs> what uh, you know? What's your what's your view on? I mean, these, these super steep climbs. I mean, they've been around for quite a few years now. But you know, some people say that uh, they're so steep they don't really. You know, it's it's more of a, a spectacle for spectacle's sake, and it's so steep that the differences aren't really that that big. I mean, what's your feeling after having raced the Angleru in terms of how it fits in with a, a with a race? Yeah, I think. I mean, for me, I, I really like the, the steep climbs. Um, but yeah, I, I also agree. I think if it's, uh, you know, if, if you're looking for massive time differences, it's, it's hard to find on those steep climbs just cause it's, you're at such a slow speed that it's, it's really easy to measure your effort to, um, 
you know, the, the tactics don't come into play as much just because there's no momentum that people are coming with. So even if someone attacks at uh, twice the speed as you, they, they don't go far. So you, you can always control the, the race around you more or less. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they have their place, but maybe, you know, as the the second to last climb of the day with a easier finishing climb or, um, yeah, maybe over in, in a longer stage. But, um, yeah, I, I think they, they certainly are, are nice to have, uh, you know, on a, a couple token stages. What, uh, what were some of your stats over the last two days? I mean, did you look at your power meter? Like how many meters, uh, did you guys climb in these two stages? Let's see. I think Saturday it was, it was almost 5,000 meters. Um, and yeah, the, every, every climb we did was really steep. Um, but they were quite spaced out. So it, you know, it was a heavy day in the mountains, but it, it didn't completely feel like a long Alpine stage or anything, just cause you had quite a bit of Valley to, uh, regroup. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Angler day was pretty short and sweet. Um, I think, yeah, the, the power I did was, was good. Nothing, uh, uh, you know, uh, no personal best or anything, but, uh, yeah. I mean, there was some speculation stuff that you could have followed, uh, Carthy, maybe won the stage, uh, but obviously you, you stayed with, uh, Primos. Did you think he might've had the legs yesterday to, to have won in, in a different situation? Yeah, I, I'm sure in a, in a different situation, um, you know, yesterday I, I felt, uh, super good, um, was, didn't feel, uh, under pressure really, but, um, yeah, of course, the the goal is is always to to win the GC and um, you know it I, I knew that before the before the stage and um, you know if if Primoz was on a on a super day then <laughs> then in, maybe in some fairy tale ending we we attack together and uh, hold hands across the finish line but um, yeah I think uh, I I was happy to be able to help him and you know even on such a hard climb. When he had a not as good of a day, we we kept the gap to ten seconds to Carapaz. So, um, yeah, can't complain. Yeah, it's been such a tight welter. I mean, uh, it's been interesting having a, a little bit shorter. You know, kind of losing those three or four days they might have had with uh, you know the start in in, in uh, Holland. You know, it kind of makes you know there hasn't been as many transition stages. We're getting a few here in this last week, but it's been almost every other day has been a decisive stage. It makes for a little bit different style of racing. Or how has it been trying to manage the race uh, from within Jumbo Visma uh, just by having every day be so intense? Yeah, it's it's definitely a different style. I mean, at least compared to the tour, it's um, it's it's a lot less control. You know, there's there's less teams here for GC, so um, any any stage is you know huge huge fight for the break. It's uh, when you think a break is gone, then then there's two teams that missed it, then it all starts again. So it's yeah, it's it's a lot harder to control, um, but also a bit shorter stages, a bit more dynamic stages. So, um, yeah, it's, it's also enjoyable to race it cause, uh, it's, it's not as predictable. So it's, it's a bit both. It's, it's hard to control, which isn't so nice, but, but it also makes for, um, yeah, good racing. 
And how do you feel uh, personally coming, uh, you know, this deep into this kind of weird season? You know, you did the tour and then kind of came straight into the Welta. How are you holding up? It sounds like you're you're going fairly well still. Yeah, I, I feel really good actually. Um, I mean, already in the Dauphiné, I felt uh, yeah amazing, and I thought, okay, hopefully I can keep this going through the tour. In the tour, I felt uh, yeah pretty good, and um, and then actually in this race, I feel maybe even better than in the tour. So, uh, but yeah, it's also hard to compare race to race. Um, but for, for me, I feel like I, I always get better as, as the season goes on. Um, so yeah, maybe in years to come, I, I wouldn't have a problem racing into, uh, later into the season and, and starting, uh, later as well, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, November, I mean, come on, it's just kind of crazy where it's November second uh, today. We got another week yeah, to go. Maybe, maybe I just say that because the weather's been good. If it was pissing rain every day, then I'd say, yeah, it's, it's not worth it. <laughs> exactly. Hey, just quickly, while I have you on the phone, did you uh, have a chance to check out the tour de France course at all? Did you have a chance to, uh, to look yeah, at uh, what's your, what's your take? Yeah, it's, um, I, I think it's, you know, a bit more balanced than, uh, than this year. Uh, yeah, the, the mountain stages aren't, uh, uh, not that they're not exciting, but there's, there's nothing, um, uh, out of the ordinary about them. Uh, you know, they, it looks like a real classic, uh, tour route. Um, so yeah, I, I think the, the stages in the Pyrenees will be, be tough um the stage in andorra i i know all those climbs uh pretty well so that'll be an exciting one um but yeah hopefully for me if if i do the tour next year hopefully uh i can survive all the days in the in the crosswinds (laughs) yeah exactly there's plenty of those i think in the first week isn't there yeah yeah what uh i mean is your obviously your mind is right now on uh, on the welta uh when do when do you guys start having those conversations about 2021 do you guys what's the plan you take a little break after the welta do you guys have some sort of team meeting in this fall before the before the holidays or is it going to be zoom calls yeah i think it'll be more on the the zoom call end of things um yeah with with all the um covid restrictions we can't really have uh, a get together at the end of the season um but uh yeah I, I think they're they're already planning for next year um even even though we're racing now it's it's still november and and the new season still starts more or less uh on time so uh yeah they're they're planning things for next year already and and then yeah as we see more of the uh routes for the the grand tours and everything then we'll we'll know more yeah well it's uh, fingers crossed we'll have uh the traditional dates in the racing season yeah uh, yeah i mean that's the big question. what you know we were talking earlier just about how you guys actually feel pretty safe inside this bubble that the sport has created does that kind of give you confidence that you know assuming that covid is still around next season that the sport has been able to demonstrate that it can kind of have a race and not be a threat to itself or to the larger public yeah i think so um you know, especially in the Volta, the the protocols have been really good. All the hotels are are um, really on board with with making sure that the teams are totally closed off. Um, you know, whether that's on their own personal floors or in the dining areas and everything like that. And then, um, yeah, within the race, it's it's always 
uh, really closed off. So I think, um, yeah, so far the, all the tests have been um, reassuring that, that the, the bubble is actually working. So, uh, yeah, I think if, if we continue to prove that, then, then there's no reason that, um, you know, cycling can't make a stake that, uh, yeah, we're not causing any, any harm. Um, but then, then again, it's also up to the, the public that's coming to the races. Um, and it's also on them to be, be responsible. So we also have to be, uh, cautious of that. Yeah, it's it's a two way street. Uh, yeah. It seems like the public, uh, from what I've seen uh, on on TV, the public's been pretty. Everyone I see is always masked up. They're kind of uh, staying away, and it sounds like there's no public really at the start or the finishes very much, is there? No, not much. It's um, you know, it, it depends on where we start. If if we're a bit closer to a, a town or a city, then then there's some smaller gatherings. Um, even some protests, actually. <laughs> I forget where we started, but there was a bit of a protest. Oh, yeah. This is, you know, yeah. Cycling's good for that, mate, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the new trend. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, it, it, it depends on where you are. So maybe if, if they if they really need to close things off, they could do the starts or neutrals in 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 some place in between a town or something. Um yeah, kind yeah. of on the outskirts of a town, an industrial park. You know, it's not yeah, uh, romantic yeah. or beautiful, but it's functional. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so it's yeah. uh, before I let you go here. It's like three uh, thirty on Monday afternoon European time. What's the rest of your rest day look like? What do you do after you've had a nice lunch there? It sounds like already. Yeah, just have lunch. Uh, yeah, do a massage. Uh, catch up on any uh, admin work, <laughs> any old emails or things like that, and. Uh, yeah, it's funny because these days go by surprisingly quick. But uh, yeah, sometimes it's nice to just turn your brain off and enjoy the the uh, silence for a bit. Yeah, for sure. We're right on SAP. I appreciate the call. And uh, if we don't talk to you next week, uh, have a great off season, And uh, hopefully we'll see you guys in the podium in, in uh, Madrid. Sounds good, Andrew. Right on, man. Enjoy Thanks. the uh, aperitifs at the yeah. lunch. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what I need right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, talk to you later. Okay, my guest uh, today on the Villanese podcast is two-time Welta España stage winner Mike Woods. Mike is joining us Monday morning, the day after climbing up the uh, Col de Angleru, a big day for EF Pro Cycling. Saw Hugh Carthy take the win. Um, Mike, how do you, like? How does the body feel after uh, the day after the Angleru climb? Like, take us through how you're feeling today. I actually feel pretty good. Um, I think that uh, now having done my – this is my sixth Grand Tour um, and the way I train now, uh, I'm just kind of used to this lingering layer of fatigue. And, uh, yesterday wasn't that long, actually. It was only three hours of racing. So that was really intense. Um, I feel pretty recovered, feel pretty rejuvenated, uh, having this nice rest day. Also knowing that there's a time trial tomorrow. It's like, for me, it's a double rest day, basically. And, uh, yeah, I'm just excited for the last few days of the race. Obviously, right after the race, you're pretty wrecked because it's such a muscular effort going up to the angle. But 
now I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to put into words what climbing um, ramps like that, sustained, you know, ramps 16, 17, over 20% is like. I mean, how would you put it into words for the listeners, you know? Uh, what's it like climbing that thing? It's slow. It's so slow. Uh, on that grade, um, yeah, it was for me especially, it was, a really, it was really an interesting uh, race because – I was in the final group and got dropped uh, with about just under 3K to go. But when you get dropped on a 22% grade, a 10 second gap is only, it's not that, it's only, you know, 10, 15 meters. It's not, it's not that far up the road. So I had a backstage pass to the, the rest of the race. And if anything, it was probably the most enviable position from a spectator's perspective, because I also got a real sensation as to what it was like to be going up it. I was basically like playing PlayStation with the rumble pack, you know, like I really <laughs> felt like, felt like I was involved. And then also spectating. I was com- even commenting, like I was going on the radio and telling Hugh that Primo's Rogue, which was getting dropped and Dan Martin was getting dropped. And yeah, it was, it was cool. That's awesome. I had never really thought of it that way. But yeah, like you said, when you get dropped on the Angleroo, you probably feel like you can just reach out and touch those people because they're not that far up the road. So, I mean, Give us your like assessment of what you saw in that front group. I mean, we'll get to Hughes' win after that, but like, especially amongst the big GC contenders, like, what what's your take on how things went down? Well, obviously, we were uh, we we had a great race yesterday. Um, he won, and it was really special, and uh, it validated what we what we kind of believed over the last two weeks. Which was starting, um, even starting stage one, uh, Hugh was climbing really well. And Hugh's not the most explosive climber, but the longer, the more unrelenting the climb is, the harder the stage, the more, the better he gets. Uh, his last win was a Tour de Suisse where it was just this monster day where it was multiple alpine passes and he, he just went solo. He, he, he's one of those guys that just does better when there's no one in front of him or the grade's really, really challenging. And, uh, the Angleroo is one of the most challenging climbs in the world tour. And so we knew going into that, that climb, it being 45 minutes, it being so steep, he had a real shot of, of being a contender. And then watching him flourish in that environment was special because I've, I've been seeing this with him for four years now. And, uh, it's, uh, it's nice. To, it's been nice to see his progression. Um, but then also, yeah, I was trying to eye up everybody and see where they were at because I wanted to give Hugh as much intel as possible. And, and obviously, uh, see how he's going to see how other riders from affair. And for the first time, uh, you saw cracks in a few cracks in Primoz Roglic's armor. Uh, even Carapaz, Carapaz looks super strong, but, uh, yeah, he was, he, he was certainly strong. And then, yeah, finally, uh, seeing Enric Mass, uh, kind of actually, uh, come, come to the forbid and be a bit better than he's been over the last few weeks. Uh, really, um, it was interesting to see those four riders. Attack and then yeah, Dan was coming apart as well a bit. Dan Martin, so uh, it made for interesting viewing, and I think uh, it really kind of hit home that this race is not over by any stretch of the imagination. There are four guys within set within you know fifty seconds of each other, even less, and even Enric Mass is still in it within a really aggressive team. So I think you're going to see some really compelling, really exciting 
racing in the last week of this this Vuelta. Yeah, it's interesting. I went back and watched the climb again and again. I'm I'm that type of guy who, when there's an Angleru on, I have to like watch it afterwards to be like, okay, now that we knew, now that we know how it ended up, like. What yeah. are th- what are things that I can see like earlier on in the stage that maybe show signs of what would happen? And you know, there's there were a couple of K's in there where um, Yumbo it wasn't Sep on the front, it was their you know, strong young guy. I can't remember think of his name right now. Yeah, and, yeah. and he's just doing work and he's like setting this crazy pace. And I felt like in the rewatch, I could see some moments where it was like, ooh, Roglic kind of got gapped a little bit there through that hairpin or Roglic is looking a little, you know, like Dan Martin pulls up alongside Roglic and looks at him. You know, do you have some memories of being in that situation before the th- everything blows apart? But, you know, when Yumbo's setting the pace on there, did you did you have any sense that Roglic might be suffering or not feeling that great? Uh, not too, too much, um, just because he wasn't directly in front of me. But yeah, uh, once... Uh, once mass attacked, you really did get that sense because he didn't respond super fast. And normally he's got, he's so explosive, he, he responds very quickly. Uh, so I, I started to see the vulnerability there. The other guy I was really trying to pay keen attention to was, uh, was Carapaz and Carapaz was directly behind me. And I saw his wheel going back and forth a bit and dangling almost. And so at first I was thinking maybe he's suffering more than the other riders and maybe he's about to get dropped but then another part of me was thinking maybe he's playing games maybe maybe he's trying to portray that he's weaker so that he stokes someone else to attack like like you and myself uh i I still don't know but uh it was yeah there were interesting quite a few interesting moments and yeah certainly a very impressive ride by vingard from uh uh, from visma he uh, from jumbo visma he was so strong. Like he just rode for an exceptionally long period of time on that climb and whittled that group down to 10 guys. You've been on that climb before where it's just crawling with fans and loud and people going nuts. I'm thinking back to 2017. I mean, what was it like climbing that thing with no fans, totally silent? I didn't like it this much. Uh, it's way cooler when you have a lot more fans. Uh, going up in, yeah, in 2017, I was in the GC hunt and it was, the, it was at the last real stage prior to Madrid, so it was the last kind of empty-the-tank effort. And it was a really special moment just because you had so many people around you cheering for you. And for me, it was kind of a career-defining moment. It made me realize I, I was able uh, to race at the, the highest level of the sport. Um, it was really nice racing it again. Uh, I love racing up that, that climb. I think it's such a hard, special, and challenging day. And it was interesting in many ways because it was quiet it was like you alone with your thoughts but there's nothing for me nothing beats racing in front of a bunch of fans that are screaming at you it just gets me fired up it's why i like racing my bike i like entertaining people uh so having that gone was uh not as nice (laughs) i can't even imagine i I think i tweeted something like this looks like the world's most brutal training ride because i mean with fans you know it's like oh this is a race they're going nuts and when it's just guys out there it's just like oh yeah they're they're training on an empty mountain, except this looks awful and so incredibly painful. Well, chapeau to yeah. you, Mike Woods. You guys made it really interesting. Hugh taking that big win. Um, what's what? You know, we get uh, some glimpses of Hugh on the TV and on social media, and he seems like a, kind of a quirky dude with a pretty funny personality. I mean, what was his reaction within the team to this win? Like, what can you say about how Hugh like personally reacted to the win? Quirky's a, a great way of defining Hugh. He's they definitely broke the mold when they made him. Uh, I think that 
when I it's he's always interesting to have at the dinner table. He's always he's always a contrary and he always likes to argue at the dinner table. Um, he always brings an extra an interesting dynamic to the dinner table. Uh, but after yeah, stage when nothing changed, he's the same guy, and that's one thing I really like about him is that he's he's his own man, and just because he gets one of the a win on one of the most iconic iconic mountains in world tour racing, he still doesn't. He doesn't change. He's still the same guy. And I, I think that's what I respect most about him. That's awesome. Well, Mike, this has already been a very successful Welta for you. You won stage seven um, at a very well-timed attack. Thrilling win. Really fun to watch. Um, and this came after you had this big headache and setback on the opening stage where you had a mechanical – or actually, it was a crash at um, a really, really tough time and that torpedo GC. You know, take me through the through the mental and emotional gymnastics you have to go through to go from having a GC setback uh, into winning a stage? Like, how do you mentally get from point A to point B on that? Yeah, I think stage one was a real disappointment for me. Uh, Juan, my, my director, and I had set a goal. We, we, weren't, we weren't coming here to tackle the GC, but we did want to try and get the jersey. And we felt like the first three days really suited my skills, particularly stage three uh, and stage one. And so we decided... I was going to go full in for those stages, try and win, if not the first stage, third stage. Uh, but, um, yeah, I had a, a crash. It really wasn't, a, it wasn't a bad crash at all. Uh, Omar Fraley came, swung into me in a really narrow, narrow point and his derailleur went into my front wheel, breaking all the spokes. Um, that sent me down to the ground. I, I wasn't hurt, but because there had already been a barrage and then point was so narrow, it took forever to get the car to, to me. Uh, and so we realized once the car had shown up that I wasn't going to be able to make it into the, the front, the, that front group again and go after my original goal, which, uh, was, was tough and challenging. And, uh, it, it, it certainly impacted me the first two, three days afterwards. I was pissed off because I, I had this big goal that I'd set post, uh, our dense classics. I felt like I was ready to, to finally, uh, get a nice result and get a weird jersey there. But, um, one thing that Juan was really good at and, I found out I've, I've even been able to do is compartmentalize failure and start thinking about what the other goals can be. And so we immediately switched our focus to later in the week, uh, trying to get in breaks and try and get a, get a win. And, uh, I almost got one on, on Sunday of the first week on stage six. I was close, but, uh, just got take team by the Gizzy Gary brothers. And then I wasn't supposed to be in the break on stage seven, but it just happened that the break was so big that I had, I had to kind of get in there just so we were represented. And, uh, uh, once I got in there, I started feeling like my legs were just as good as the day before. And, uh, just kind of referenced how good I was the day before. Believe in my, tried to believe in myself as much as possible and, uh, tell myself, you know, why can't you win today? You're just as good as these other guys. And, uh, yeah, I managed to win. Yeah, I think that's really impressive because not only was it the second day in a row in the break, but I, I read your comments afterwards and you were like, you know, on paper, this stage didn't really suit me as as well as yesterday had. This was, I wouldn't say happy accident, but it was more like, you know, in, in your other Welta stage win, it was something that was sort of on the, you, you knew about it, you'd been targeting that one, whereas this one was more of an impromptu win. It, it, the opportunity came to you and you seized it. Yeah, I think that's why it was my most special win to date. Uh, I haven't won in that fashion. And uh, yeah, it was just like, I lost a lot of sleep the night after just thinking about how cool it was. <laughs> it was like one of those, like, felt like you're playing PlayStation almost or playing, you know, playing like playing a video game. It was, uh, like just 
things kind of unfolded the way exactly the way I wanted them to unfold. It was, it was really nice. I, I felt really, really lucky and happy about that one. That's awesome. Well, chapeau to having such a good uh, Welta España and the Welta is not over, of course, for you or uh, or Hugh. You know, was the Welta always in the in the cards for you this year? I mean, I, I know when we really started to dig into the Tour de France route with its climbs and climbs stacked on top of climbs, there was a time where I was thinking, wow, this is a real kind of Mike Woods style route. Um, were you always going to be racing the Welta or were you originally going to be racing the Tour this year? No, I, I thought that as well. I really wanted to do the Tour, but uh, um, it didn't happen. Uh, 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 team decided we, to, to put their focus on uh, Sergio Aguita and uh, they weren't 100% sure in my recovery from my femur fracture. Uh, so, uh, although I, I wanted to do it and I was on the, I was on the roster for it, uh, I got pulled off and uh, then my, the next question Charlie Ugelius had for me and, and the team had for me was, well, we, we believe in you, we want to put you in races. What races do you want to do? And uh, the Giro wasn't really an option I, th- I felt because I really wanted to chal- to uh, to take on the Ardennes Classics. Uh, those are my favorite races in the calendar. And at the Ardennes, I, I was just missing that final percentage point, which I felt like would have I would have got I would have had from doing the tour. I'm always better after a Grand Tour, and I felt like the guys who were just better than me were all guys that had been at the tour. And uh, so that's how the that's how the Vuelta kind of evolved. Was I, I, I still need to do a Grand Tour? There's only one left in the calendar, and uh, might as well do it. So now I'm here. And how did you deal with the setback of being passed over for the Tour de France team? I mean, it's a cool tour. There's stages that seem to to suit you. You know, you're kind of headed towards it, and then it it doesn't happen. How did you deal with that disappointment? Yeah, I was pretty upset by it. I I broke my femur after Paris and. Initially, I didn't think I'd be able to be ready for the tour, but my recovery went so well that all of a sudden I, I felt like I was ready for it. And I said it was really cool and I got in great shape. I got in such good shape. But I mean, I was doing some of the best, I was doing the best numbers of my life. I did a Zwift, a Zwift race where I won a tour, that, that, a tour stage on Zwift. And not that Zwift means anything, but I, I, in that one, in that Zwift race, I put out my best numbers. And in the week leading up, week before that, I was doing at a training camp and I was just, just flying. So I was really motivated to do the tour. Uh, but, uh, yeah, when I got the call, I was, uh, I was disappointed. I, I respected the decision though, because, uh, the team, I mean, the team wanted to notify me well in advance that I wouldn't be doing it. Uh, I respected it and decided, okay, well, just cause I'm not doing the tour doesn't mean I can't get uh, a big result after. Uh, and so I kind of refocused, but it did take a couple of weeks to, to get my head around it and get focused on, on the other races. Really like the tour is why I, I want to be doing bike racing now. I've done it once. And after doing it, you realize how much bigger of a race it is than all other races. Um, being Canadian, particularly, you re- you see that uh, it's just so w- well followed in Canada, despite the fact that a lot of Canadians don't follow cycling at all. And uh, I liked that exposure. I liked feeling like I was on the big stage. And so uh, I really want to be back at that race. Well, something tells me that is going to be in the cards for you. You famously are moving teams next year to uh, Israel Startup Nation. Um, and do you have any sense of what, uh, you know, the tours, is the tour going to be an annual thing for you? Do you have any sense of what, um, your role on that team is going to be? Well, it, whether it will be any different than the role you've had with EF pro cycling. I don't think it's going to be much different than the role I have now. Yeah. But, uh, I'm really excited by, uh, the prospect of riding for Israel next year because my coach is the head of performance there. Uh, and I have a really good per- relationship with Sylvan Adams as well. And, uh, one of the big 
things that we talked about in the prior signing was uh, just the level of focus we were going to have on the calendar, um, the level of uh, yeah, the level of control I was going to have on the calendar. Like Sylvan and Paulo want me focused for the Olympics next year, and they want me focused for the tour next year. And uh, I, I told them my big goals in cycling now are focusing on the big global championships, the monuments, and the tour. Those are the the things I want to tackle, and they're on the same page. Um, for me, I don't think I'm ever going to be a GC contender at the tour, and that's why it really excited me as well to go to Israel because the next best thing I think you can do at the tour, aside from win the GC, is being a part of a guy's GC win. And, uh, and just watching Froome over the last few weeks at the Vuelta, uh, he's progressing and getting better each day. Uh, and even I watched him at Torino Adriatico. He's far better than he was in Torino. Here, here than he was there. Uh, each day he's getting better, and you know that that guy. Uh, I mean, he's he's a champion. He it's impo- almost impossible to count him out. Uh, I remember watching him in uh, the Giro in 2018 when everyone had counted him out, and then he came stormed back on the Finestra and 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 took over the GCM one. Um, he's a he's a winner, and uh, you can see that you can see this momentum building in him right now. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's back to that. Uh, tour level tour winning level next year and i think it'd be just an honor to be part of that so you've been chatting with Froome in the peloton i mean uh you know next year's teammate he's there you said you've been watching him and seeing what he's been able to do what about uh you know talking with the guy how uh, how's that been yeah i've been chatting with him a fair amount uh we've pretty much been on the same oh, the same calendar this uh this last half of the season uh so we've been uh chatting quite a bit and yeah, it's been nice. Uh, nice to see, learn who he is as a person. Um, I was really uh, impressed with him and uh, gained even more respect for him uh, over the last few days, particularly with the rider protest that we had at the Volta. He took the lead on that, and uh, yeah, just showed a real, his real qualities as a leader. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to be be riding for him. Yeah, it's an interesting. News story that's come out uh, between the Welta and the Giro with at the Giro, the riders having the protest on that penultimate day that was long and dumb and in the rain. And then here at the Welta with Froome organizing a rider protest. I mean, it does seem like there's something of a, I don't know, a sea change, but I feel like something's happening. I can't quite put my finger finger on it with the riders um, taking a bit more control of the racing and the stages and stuff that's thrown at them. What's your assessment of what's going on? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think there's just been this over the past few years, there's been this growing frustration towards uh, the CPA, towards how they represent us um, to an extent, the degree that we don't really feel like our voices is heard or well represented. Um, and ultimately uh, we're, we're, we're the frontline workers of bike racing. Um, so we feel like we, we, we should be stakeholders in, in the sport. We should be represented in the sport. And I think you're seeing that frustration mount and, uh, through the, and I think these protests are certainly a demonstration of that. And I think there's going to be some bigger things that are, uh, that are coming out of this in the next few days and weeks, um, uh, that, uh, I think will positively impact, uh, the sport and yeah, just be better for not just the riders, but, but the sport in general. Excellent. Well, I'll keep my eyes open for that. Um, Mike Woods, thanks for making some time for us today. We're going to keep watching you and the whole EF squad through the rest of this Vuelta España and Hugh Carthy's push for the podium. So thanks for making time for us. We'll let you get back to your afternoon. No problem, Fred. Thanks for having me.